How's it going? I'm Coco. And this is Mike. And this is Rock and Vino, the podcast where we talk about wine and music and how and food, actually, and how they all go so well together. Find past episodes live every Tuesday all over the web at your podcast destination of choice. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, the iHeartRadio app, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, pretty much everywhere. Uh, find us on social media at Rock and Vino, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of the good places. And this is also the podcast sending you to Aftershock in Sacramento. If you That's are, right. Yes. If you are looking for tickets, check us out on social media and you will find a way to do it. It's not hard, I promise. R-O-C-K-N-V-I-N-O. That's where you'll find us on Instagram or Facebook. Exactly. Coming up this weekend at Discovery Park. Uh, every every big rock band you could imagine out there. I'm it's... so excited. <laughs> I cannot so, wait. I think you, we, you may hear more about that next week. <laughs> but uh, since the festival's this weekend, if you want to enter, do so now because we pick a winner on Wednesday. So tag your friends, get those tickets, and join us out there. Now to this week. Uh, we have uh, one of the biggest names in winemaking in Sonoma County. Uh, it has such a history here. I, I believe it's your 40th vintage, did I hear? 40th vintage, Ooh, yes. So exciting. Who <laughs> yeah. yes. knew I was that old? Huh? <laughs> uh, the great winemaker Bob Cabral is here. Well, how's everyone doing today? Wonderful. How yeah, are you? Thank you? Good. Thank you for having me. This, this should be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Now you you've worked with so many different uh, different wineries and you know outside of wine people looking to get into the wine business you know so many different projects uh, just I guess start from kind of the beginning of you know how how you got into into wine to start yeah um, it started uh, when I was a kid um, I grew up in the Central Valley near the town of Modesto mm. little uh, farming town called Escalon. My dad and my grandfather farmed wine grapes and almonds, almonds, however you want to pronounce them. them. And uh, we made wine in my grandfather's uh, barn every year. And, um, you know, uh, wine was just a part of our house. And it was something that um, I I never really thought much about. Uh, I was raising a lot of animals um, through 4-H and FFA growing up. I was on 70 acres, so we had plenty of room to, <laughs> to raise animals. And I wanted to become a veterinarian, large, anim- large animal vet. Oh, wow. So Buddy and I applied to University of California at Davis. We both got accepted. <clears throat> we went up to the orientation day, and they handed us the course schedule. And mind you, I just turned 18 years old in March, and this was like May of 1980. And um, the course schedule was for the next eight years. Whoa. And I looked at my buddy and said that, you know, I just finished the 12th grade and I'm not going to school for eight more years. (laughs) And he said, but, you know, we, we get a doctorate in veterinary medicine, DVM. And I said, I don't care if I get a doctorate in rocket science. I'm not going to school for for eight more years. And and so we, I went through the whole orientation day. But on our way, our drive back, which was only about an hour, hour and a half south of uh, Davis, you know, I just said, I don't think this is going to be for me. And because I was heavily involved in chemistry and agriculture. Uh, I used to haul a lot of grapes into the wineries for my dad on the weekends. You could drive crops from the fields to the uh, to the processing plants you could get a provisional license when you were 14 years old wow <laughs> and so to a 14 year old boy that lives nine <laughs> miles out of town and can drive trucks full of grapes to wineries that was a pretty cool thing yeah so that was my first experience really of of uh, seeing wineries and so then I looked into winemaking school and my dad had gone to Fresno State and just by chances, that's where I ended up working down there and uh, started working for large wineries back then. So Bronco Wine Company was my first job and finished uh, my undergraduate, went to work for a large winery south of Fresno called Vidal. We made brandy and all kinds of other spirits and um, blending wines. It was a 13 million gallon wow. facility. Okay. And I was the assistant winemaker there for three years. And in 1986, the union struck. And uh, this was on a Monday. And uh, the winemaker was just the winemaker and myself, an office lady named Louise, who had the big beehive bouffant (laughs) hair and and chain smoked. 
And then um, Bob Reed was our plant manager, and he'd started off as an accountant. And when I got there as a 22-year-old college graduate, (laughs) they always called me college boy, by the way. Um, Bob had been there 42 years already. <laughs> so um, when, the, when the workers struck, there were 37 workers. Um, we had already crushed like 800 tons of grapes. And it, this was on a Monday at noon. And the winemaker and I, I didn't get home till Thursday to take a shower and Oh, sleep. my goodness. So it took us about four days to finish. So we didn't lose any of the grapes. We mm-hmm. had to press them and chill the juice and... And then we kind of closed the plant down for two weeks and then hired in scab labor. And that went on for a couple of months. And after that whole experience, it was kind of like, okay, I got to get out of here. This isn't, <laughs> I school was, finished, was looking good for you. Looking yeah, good you at that point. exactly. Well, I was going back to grad school at the time. I was studying biochemistry at oh, Fresno okay. State. Um, Vidal was paying for it. So, you know, so I could defer my student loans. And it was like, this is great. Yeah. But um, I kind of felt like I was stuck in the Central Valley. And I needed to make a move. So in 1986, I applied for uh, 20 jobs in Sonoma County and 20 in Napa County. And I, I got offered the assistant winemaker at Deloach Vineyards. Oh, and lovely. so I worked there for the, then the next six vintages. And it kind of progressed from there. Yeah. I've worked at several other places. The, the longest tenure would be William Salyum. And I was there from 1998 through 2014. How different was the Sonoma County industry in the mid-80s getting? I I assume it was smaller then. It seemed like you could name every winery (laughs) off of, you know, you could use all 10 fingers and you had all the wineries in Sonoma (laughs) County just about. So it was pretty small and a pretty tight-knit group. Mm -hmm. And um, we kind of knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody. And um, there was a lot of information shared and a lot of camaraderie and I was just fascinated with the diversity of where we could grow grapes and just the the varying qualities and varietals and just so many different things that that could be done here in Sonoma County and you know and I'm not trying to diss Napa I've I've done some work over there but (laughs) you know it just seemed a little more relaxed and a little more home feeling to me it was more um, rural it was more farmer-like to me, so I um, I kind of gravitated and stayed in Sonoma County. I I had applied for and interviewed for a few jobs over in Napa, and it was like, oh man, those guys are maniacs. I'm, <laughs> I'm not working over there. <laughs> and it's just so beautiful over here in Sonoma County. And it is. I, I think a lot of people are still finding out about us. You know, when they mm-hmm. come to wine country, regardless of if they come to Sonoma County or Napa County, they're like, oh, I'm in Napa. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, um, it's, we're quite different. I mean, we definitely have the appreciation for the Napa County side Absolutely. and what, they, yeah. what they've done for wine country here, yeah. but everybody needs to, you know, you know, come over to this side and right. check it out. Once you leave California, you know, probably the most asked question I get is what part of Napa are you yeah. from? And, and that, <laughs> that used to bother me when I first moved up here because I really felt a sense of home mm-hmm. and, and kind of this proprietary um, love or kinship for Sonoma County. And so I finally came up with the answer, well, we're West Napa. <laughs> like very far West Napa. And actually, you know what? We even have our own county. It's called Sonoma. And it. it goes all the way out to the Pacific Ocean. It's really cool. We grow Pinot Noir primarily, Zin, uh-huh. Chardonnay, some really cool other varietals other than Cabernet. Yes. Oh, really? Your own county? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, since the 1800s. (laughs) I'm the mayor, in fact. (laughs) Uh, So, flash forward to today, uh, you're now, I mean, you have hands in lots of different projects. um, I do. The main main winery you're working on now is your own. You've launched your own uh, with Bob Cabral Wines. Yes. So, Bob Cabral Wines was started by my wife and I in 2015. And uh, up until that point, I I had primarily been um, working for other wineries with non-competes, meaning I couldn't consult, I couldn't make my own wine, I couldn't do other projects. So, you know, after doing that for, you know, 35 years, uh, having the opportunity to do it was a great freedom, but it wasn't a reason just to start a wine brand. So... I had begun a job uh, consulting with Three Sticks down in Sonoma and building a team of winemakers down there and and putting that winery together, trying to get some of the farming um, uh, 
refined, if you will, and and equipment. And while I was doing that, my wife said, "Well, you should make we should make some wine." And I'm like, well, you know, if it's just to see my name on a wine label, this is not <laughs> this is not a reason. So. I kept dragging my feet, and by about May or June of 2015, she was like, you know, we've either got to do it or not do it. So I said, okay, I'll make you a deal. If you don't take a salary, I won't take a salary, but we'll be the only two owners. We'll start an LLC, so I don't want any partners, and and we can get into this later. I was offered money by rock stars and and (laughs) movie stars and other industry um, wine brand owners just to get Bob Cabral going and um, we'll own it we won't take salaries and after operating expenses we're using the money to give back to the communities Mm -hmm. primarily children in need Mm -hmm. so I wanted to help out schools um, kids in crises Uh, unfortunately here the last couple of years we've done a lot of support for fire relief Mm -hmm. you know but it, it just it's such a good feeling and, and the thing that I've really learned kind of being around some of the celebrities and rock stars is that they're, they are very charitable people and they've taught me a lot about giving back and really how good it feels and um, that you need to learn to appreciate what you have and be grateful for mm-hmm. what you have and not necessarily always want more so that's that's been the project over the last couple of years and um, we've been fairly successful at it we're we're at a about a um i guess you'd say a positive cash flow i do some other projects as you <laughs> as you know i i do some private labels for like uh, restaurants mm-hmm. uh valette i've done his rosé dustin's rosé and and a pinot noir for him i just did 25 cases of a custom label for single thread oh yeah huh? lovely um and uh not did i say rosé it was riesling Okay. That I did for, for Evan, yeah. So it was a Sonoma Coast Riesling. And all of those kind of projects are, you know, I, I don't try to make a lot of money on them. They give me a lot of um, satisfaction and, and a lot of creative freedom to make these wines. Um, and then it also gives me a little bit of cash flow. Nice. That always helps. <laughs> it does. And when you work on those um, those wines for other people, do you kind of try out new techniques or do you just kind of stick with the same methods that you do, that you're used no, to? No, I'm, I'm pretty adventuresome now at this yeah. point. <laughs> because, I love it. You know, you, you've tried a lot of things over 40 vintages and a lot of them haven't worked. So I avoid those paths. <laughs> And then, you know, they're kind of calculated risk. Mm-hmm. But you know that, that some of these are really going to turn out pretty good. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I don't use any commercial yeast. I try not to fine or filter. I try to do kind of minimalist. I call it lazy winemaking, but it's more <laughs> minimalist winemaking. Where I've just found that if you grow really good grapes and you take care of them, they kind of take care of themselves. And you're just there to kind of guide them along. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like raising children. You know? <laughs> if, you, if you put your thumb down a little too hard, they rebel back. Wines are exactly <laughs> the same way. Yeah, speaking of wines, what did you bring to share with us today? Today I have a, uh, I have a Pinot Noir, okay. the only Pinot that we make, and a um, Chardonnay. Lovely. So the uh, Chardonnay is, so Heather and I don't own any grapes. Uh, well, I sh- uh, that's kind of a, a misnomer. We have four table grapevines in our backyard. Nice. But we don't, any, we don't own any commercial vineyards. So I've come up with proprietary names for everything. Okay. So the Chardonnay is called Cuvée and Rose, and th- those are the middle names of both my wife and my daughter. So Heather Ann and Paige Rose. And the Cuvée series is always a blend of several vineyards. So this comes from a couple of vineyards out towards Freestone Occidental area on the Sonoma Coast. Very cool area, good acids. Um, you know, I just I was looking for vineyards that that really kind of spoke to the varietal. Mm-hmm. And I've always admired the Chardonnays from out there. And I tend to like wines with high acidity anyway. I, I you know, we've talked about food on here too. Oh yeah. Food, Food and wine definitely need to go together. So I think it's important that that there's a good balance and vibrancy to the wines, and they'll help complement the the meal. I just don't think wine should always be, you know, the main focus. Mm-hmm. 
Now, with the Bob Cabral uh, brand, uh, I believe there's also a music component to that. There if is. I, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, ha- on your, on your, um, your website, you ha- has you playing a guitar. Yes. So, uh, you know, I took music lessons as a kid. Um, piano lessons at five, actually. And um, I did that for about three years. And then as I got into grammar school, uh, I played the clarinet through about the eighth grade. And in the sixth grade, I joined a jazz band in middle school, and I played the bass clarinet. So we went around to different um, different competitions here in Northern California, even into Southern California. And uh, while your viewers can't see this, but I have, um, I'm half Portuguese. I have very large palms and very short fingers. And anytime you're playing piano, most instruments uh, really do require for that dexterity, uh, much longer fingers, especially guitar playing. Mm -hmm. The guitar has always been extremely difficult for me. My daughter and I started taking guitar lessons about, oh, almost 10 years ago when she was eight or nine. And it was more, I I participated in that because I wanted her to learn how to read music. I think it's important for kids to to be cultured and um, have other passions besides mathematics and science and biology, which are all great things to have (laughs) um, lots of knowledge about, but just to, to have other passions. And theater right now is her other passion. She inherited kind of my hands, genetically. (laughs) So the guitar was actually kind of difficult for her. The guitar is something, like any instrument, you have to practice a lot. And um, I just, I wasn't spending enough time doing it. And I kind of dropped out, and about two years later, when my daughter finally got into middle school and then high school, she decided that theater and some other things were, um, that were quite time-consuming were more important to her. So uh, the guitars are, are part of, we had a friend that worked at Fender and he had sent us a bunch of guitars back in the, the mid 2000s with amps and chords and everything. And, and then we started um, taking some of these guitars to various concerts and getting the artists to sign them for us. Then we were donating them to auctions. So the very first guitar was a really nice um, white and kind of gold Fender Strat that was given to my daughter. And at the time, I was selling a lot of William Siam wine to the band Heart. So Ann and Nancy Wilson and their manager, Sherry Anderson. So we had gone to a uh, concert up at, I believe it was at Cal Expo, and Sammy Hagar actually opened up for Heart that evening. So we saw Sam and Kari um, backstage, and Paige said she was going to bring her guitar. So she brings her guitar, and she gets everybody in the band to sign the guitar. And she never played it. It kind of sat in the corner. And I was headed off to a, uh, an auction down in New Orleans with Emeril Lagasse. And I was uh, talking about some big wine bottles we were donating in an auction lot. I think Dustin Vallette was going to do some cooking. <laughs> we, were, we were throwing in some uh, wine tasting and large wine bottles. And Paige said, well, what if we donate the guitar? Do you think somebody would, would pay some money for the guitar? So I said, well, we can find out. We'll, we'll put some special bottles with it. And so we did some larger formats, and it was in a silent auction. And I happened to see Sherry Anderson before the, the uh, auction, and she, they were very intrigued, along with, with Ann and Nancy, that this kid was giving away this signed <laughs> guitar. Um, to help raise money for children in need. Yeah. And uh, the guitar ended up going for something like $14,000. And so we were on the phone with them that night, and they were so just out of their skin, they couldn't believe that this was <laughs> happening. So they signed her another guitar and, and gave it to her, so we'd gone to another show. So that was kind of the first of the guitar series. And then um, I was making some wine with Michael Brown and Jonathan Kane, the keyboard player from Journey, mm-hmm. called Revelation. And we made a barrel of Pinot in 2009, and we bottled it all in large formats, and it's meaning magnums, threes, fives, nine liters, and it was only to be donated to children's charities. So over the next two years, we between Costa Brown and William Sallion, we'd donate 
them to charity and then show up at these events. And um, this barrel of wine, which is the equivalent of about 25 cases, raised a, about $480,000. And every once in a while, Jonathan, if he was in the area or they were touring in that part of the country, he would come to the auction and he'd get all excited and, you know, he, if it goes for another $10,000, I'll throw in tickets to a journey show. So then it'd go up by 10000 If it goes up for another $5,000, i will throw in signed guitars for each of the three couples. It'd go up another 5000 Then you can do backstage. I'll get, throw in backstage passes. So we had a couple of places where this stuff would go for fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 wow. for a couple of bottles of wine and a bunch of signed guitars. Well, then Jonathan was off touring at the next city. And then I had to figure out how to get the guitars <laughs> yeah. to Jonathan or Journey or their manager, Rob Kern, at the time, who lives up in Windsor. And Rob and I became good friends, so I would just ship these guitars to him. He'd have the band signed them, ship them back to me, and then we'd, we'd distribute them to the, to the people that won the auction. That's so perfect. we had a great time doing that. Um, I had guitars signed by Sam Hagar and... and um, Varying uh, renditions of bands that he was with, The Circle, Chickenfoot, so mm-hmm. Joe Satriani, Michael mm-hmm. Anthony, Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers. Um, let's see, Jeff Beck signed a guitar for me um, back in 2011 at the Luther Burbank Center. So mm-hmm. I got backstage, and and the thing is, after the first couple were signed, I, I always brought a second guitar for myself. <laughs> and, but I always made it very clear to either the manager or the artist that, you know, I want to keep one of for these. Sure. It's like I'm meeting Jeff Beck, uh-huh. <laughs> but I'll bring some wine. Mm-hmm. So I brought Jeff like six bottles of Pinot, and about two years later, we get a call from a promoter in Belgium, and the girls get me on the phone. They say, hey, we got this guy, and he's looking for some 2009 William Sullivan Pinot Noir. <laughs> and I said, well, what vineyard? Because we made like 17 different wine, Pinot mm-hmm. Noirs. And uh, they said, well, you talk to him. So I'm talking to this guy, and he's like, in the rider, Jeff had... Six oh. bottles of 09 William Sion, <laughs> oh which is what I had given him uh-huh. back at Luther Burbank. <laughs> and this guy couldn't find them like on the web. He, he had searched wine shops, and so he figured, what the heck, I'll call the winery. Mm-hmm. And so I signed six more bottles, and then we shipped them through DHL or somebody oh, to, wow. to Belgium <laughs> so that Jeff had these six bottles backstage. <laughs> I'm assuming he drank them because he, he seemed to like the first ones. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's but, amazing. But, um, you know, it's just been, I've lived this just really blessed life, almost uh, pinch me kind of life because <laughs> of wine. And I never thought that I would meet these artists or, or athletes or, or um, actors, actresses. And um, it's been a great ride, you know, and I really enjoy um, meeting these people. There are a lot of um, really kind of down to earth people when you get to know them, but they they have these stage personas and then they're just regular people and they like to drink wine. And And do they ever ask you like to come visit the winery and kind of have a whole experience, a Sonoma County experience? Yeah. During the 2013 harvest, um, uh, Cliff Williams, the bass player for ACDC, and his wife Georgianne showed up with a couple, his daughter, their daughter, and, and boyfriend, and, a, and two other couples, uh, like right in the middle of harvest. <laughs> and so we took them up to a private room at Williams Salem and tasted through everything. And Georgianne, his wife, and then his daughter, they were buying all kinds of wine, and they're like, hey, dad, give me the credit card kind of thing. So. So I was kind of standing off to the side, and I'd been with them for maybe an hour and a half or something like that. And mind you, I started going to concerts like Day on the Greens back in the mid-'70s mm-hmm. when, I, when I lived um, at home in Escalon. And uh, so I'm kind of standing there, and I'm not usually too starstruck, or I don't. I, I don't we, we usually end up talking about wine, not necessarily about them, because I know what it's like to, to be on all the time. So we're just standing there, and I said to Cliff, um, so the first time I saw you guys was in 1979 at Day on the Green. 
and you opened up for Ted Nugent and Aerosmith. <laughs> and he goes, Monsters of Rock. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I still have the T-shirt. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. And uh, he kind of smiled, and they came on about noon. They were like the second band of like six bands. And he goes, man, we were wasted by like <laughs> noon. And I looked at Cliff, and I said, so was I. <laughs> Cliff says, hey, you want to go to lunch with us? We're going to go eat at this place called um, Zazu in Sebastopol. Uh, oh, wow. Uh-huh. And I'm like, sure. You know, in the middle of harvest, mm-hmm. I got grapes coming in. But I'm thinking, you're never Cliff Williams yeah, wants to buy me lunch at Zazu uh-huh. in Sebastopol. Can't say like, no to that. You're not going to say it. Go, let me, uh, let me go check on the crew. I'll grab <laughs> some more wine. Uh-huh. And then we went and really had a, a nice lunch. Yeah. That's awesome. So you just, you don't know who's going to show up and um, you... You treat them, I think you treat everybody, no matter who they are, uh, the same. And um, you, you kind of build some friendships. So on their last tour through here, uh, Cliff got us some some good passes and uh, tickets for the AT&T Park show. Ooh, and nice. My daughter got to go and she was just like, we got backstage and everything. And she was just beside herself mm-hmm. and she thought it was so cool when you know they played hell's bells and back in black and <laughs> all the old albums the, uh-huh. her thing with her friends now are, are to go we have a room upstairs where we keep the guitars and and we have an old record player and she i've got vinyl from back to the 60s and even 50s that were my dad's records and so she's really into putting vinyl on. And then all of a sudden you'll hear Dark Side of the Moon going. <laughs> or the Almond Brothers eat a peach or oh you know. And then there's some girl strumming on a guitar. She has a lot of friends that, that are still musicians and um in, in her high school class and so they have a lot of fun. Yeah. That's really cool. It's so awesome to hear that generation appreciating the music that you know we grew up on that you know just right kinda... and kind of those imperfection the perfection of that imperfection Absolutely. on on vinyl that little crackle once in a while that we all hated that we cleaned the albums really <laughs> neat and you know we were pretty I was always pretty diligent when and I took good care of of records cuz you know back in the day they were like 6 bucks you know 599 <laughs> 699 yeah. mm-hmm. you know that was Concert tickets were twelve bucks. Oh man, I know? wish. <laughs> right, that'd be amazing. <laughs> it is. It's just ridiculous now. It's crazy. We're going to the uh, Experience Hendrix tomorrow okay. night at LBC, mm-hmm. and um, my daughter. I went a couple of years ago, and it was just a fabulous show. And um, so she wanted to go this time. The tickets were ninety three dollars. Whoa, ninety three dollars. That's Right. Yeah. I mean, I love the LBC, and I'm glad that they're able to to bring in that kind of music, um, music, and those musicians, and they need to make a living. Don't get me wrong. Right. Um, but yeah, we've we. It's definitely gone. Oh. It should come with a glass of wine like, <laughs> or something, you right? Know, yeah. Come on. Yeah. It lessen the blow a little bit. Yeah. Right. Alcohol. Right. Exactly. exactly. Now, even with the the tasting experience at Bob Cabral, I think you work wine into that also as well, don't you? We do. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we have the backstage experience up at Flight Deck um, in Healdsburg. It's kind of between downtown Bakery and on the other side is either Mr. Moon's or a, mm. another uh, retail shop. And it's a room inside a room. So uh, Flight Deck is owned by Vintage Wine Estates, and I do some wine projects for them. I make their uh, Firesteed products up in Oregon. Uh, Game of Thrones with HBO. I make those wines through Vintage. And then I do the Splinter Spirits Group, where we we age bourbon, uh, rye, and whiskey in used wine barrels, and and then distribute those under Splinter Spirits Group. So they offered me this room inside the room for a very reasonable rent, which was was nice, mainly because they know our mission. I buy corks from M.A. Silva that give us a discount because we're we're trying to make money for charity to give mm-hmm. back. It's it's all part of our mission. So um, we have a couch in there, an old leather couch, some old uh, rugs and tapestries and um, lamps. Um, Tiffany lamps and it's in a music box that, cool. so you can sit there and we, we put on I have Spotify playlists that are on my website for each for each wine and then I have just cruising the BCW website and you and I've got playlists that I have to 
keep updating and <laughs> adding to. And we go through and we pour the current releases, which are the 16 uh, Chardonnay, 16 Riesling, 16 Pinot Noir, and then I think we're now out of the 16 uh, Rosé. So I made one Rosé, and I'm not sure I'll do it for Bob Cabral Wines mm. again, but... Got some but it's a it's a it's a great uh, it's a great um, experience, and the people uh, our rent there is basically the fee that you pay to taste. So vintage buys the wines from us. You get a charcuterie board, and then at the end is there's a little chocolate guitar that they, <laughs> oh my they God, have. That's a, so fun. They have an artisan chocolatier, and um, but you're in this room, and and if Heather and I can be there, we we try to um, provide the experience. It's on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, twelve, two, and four o'clock. And what is the cost of that experience? $50 a person. That's great. Yeah. Well, considering, too, the wines, um, the Pinot no- the Rosé of Pinot and the Riesling go for 75 a bottle. The Chardonnay is 100 and the Pinot is 125 yeah. And then do you guys do, um, like, comp if they buy a certain number of bottles? Yeah, or free shipping. Or we free do shipping. all kinds cool. of stuff, yeah. Nice. Yeah. That sounds amazing. And so Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday, yeah. And you okay. can go to either Flight Deck's website, flightdeck.com, or go to bobcabralwines.com. And on the upper left-hand corner on the on the bottom, I think it's uh, sign up for a tasting. Book a tasting. Book a tasting. <laughs> there you go. And that'll take you into the the booking site. And my wife and another person over at Flight Deck kind of manage that. That's amazing. Okay. And then otherwise, and then they you can also buy the wines retail there. So Flight Deck also has a retail shop where. So if you don't want to do the tasting, you can you can also buy the wines if you have somebody you want to give a gift to or something like that. Otherwise, you got to go to our website to buy the wines. Yeah, you'd mentioned the the Game of Thrones collaboration. I'd forgotten about that. How did yeah. that come about for you? That's that's a unique one. That's cool. yeah. So I was approached just as I was leaving William Selium. Um, Pat Roney of Vintage Wine Estates, who had hired me back in like 1993 over at Cundy Wine Estates down in Kenwood. He, Pat was the president back then. Um, Pat and I just kind of kept in contact and uh, we were having lunch one day and he said, hey, I've been approached by HBO and they'd like to do a series of wines with Game of Thrones. And I'm like, that's awesome. You know, you've got some <laughs> great wineries and some great winemakers. And he said, yes, but they're looking for a little higher profile winemaker. And I said, really? <laughs> and uh, he said, would you be interested in doing this? And you, we'd just work out a deal. Um, you would get paid a royalty, a per case royalty. And uh, you'd work with an individual winemaker, depending on the wine, from vintage. And we would get it blended for you, bottled, and then off to distribution. So basically all you'd have to be a part of is the blending and bottling and making sure that it it met the quality specs that we had set. So that was in like October or November of 2014. And it wasn't until like November of 2016 that I met with the HBO folks here in Santa Rosa, HBO Marketing. And we finally just worked out a deal, yeah. And um, then it just kind of exploded and went worldwide. I could yeah. not believe how much. We, we made a $20 Central Coast Chardonnay, a $20 Oregon Pinot, a $20 Central Coast Red Blend that was Tempranillo, Zinfandel, Syrah. So all these cool varietals yeah. that I don't normally work with. And mm-hmm. so I had these spices and it was just so much fun. <laughs> and then we made a Napa Cab over at Clopagas and so we had access to fruit from Girard and Swanson and Clopagas all mm. vintage wine estates mm-hmm. uh, brands that I could choose from these lots and, and put together this really killer bottle of wine for 50 bucks and it just went it went crazy I didn't realize how widely watched Game of Thrones it's like is a or was yeah oh, well man. Come to find it, it is the most watched show worldwide. Wow. I mean, we were shipping like 2,000 cases to Sweden. Oh, and tw- the initial order to Canada was like 12,000 cases. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it was just absurd. And so um, we'd get these checks, and my wife would go, there's mailbox money today. <laughs> and basically, that's how my daughter is a senior now at uh, Sonoma Academy, and, and I'll be honest with you, that's how we paid for it. 
That's great. Yeah. Thank I you, mean, Game of it, Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> and even Paige says, you know, who would have thought HBO would be paying for my education? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now that the, the, the show has kind of ended, those checks have kind of stopped. And, and we're still making a little bit of wine, but it, the distribution mm-hmm. isn't quite as, as frenzied as it was when a new season would come out. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're looking into some, I'm looking into some other projects. Yeah. Other, we may do other something. TV else. shows? Not necessarily TV shows, but okay. maybe another brand, something by Bob Cabral, maybe. Okay. Um, so, but a value brand where we could get really wide distribution. Yeah. I mean, that's such an approachable price point at $20, knowing 20, that yeah. they're going to be great wines. You can't go wrong. Yeah. And I think that's what people thought they were kind of these novelty wines to begin with. And then they opened them and tasted them and then they were like, whoa, okay, for 20 bucks, mm-hmm. you know, this is a good bottle of wine. I mean, it's a beautiful label too. I mean, it's a great. Yeah. Vintage has some great graphic artists and they do all their own label printing and, you know, they own Windsor Vineyards. They bought that many years ago. Yeah. So they've done the private label thing for quite some time, and they've gotten extremely good at it. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that they have access to just grapes throughout California, Oregon, Washington. They own wineries up in Oregon and Washington. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So we're in the midst of, of harvest season right now. Um, for uh, as a winemaker, what what is that time like for you? I mean, you're you're not only working on your own brand, but right. you're you're doing the consulting work on other brands. Yeah. W- what's that period of time like for you as a winemaker? Kind of like what day is it? <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't, and it doesn't really matter. Um, I kind of notice sometimes when it's Saturday and Sundays because the wineries are are pretty quiet. Most people like to take a day or two off, whereas I'm like, yeah, let's crush. <laughs> you know, I'll be calling up vineyard managers, can you pick 12 tons of Pinot tomorrow for me? And they're like, you know, tomorrow's Sunday. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, is that a problem? <laughs> so for me, it's um, it's a very exciting time, actually. Um, I don't... Uh, I don't really do anything else. Um, I, I kind of get up, I, I get ready for work, I start thinking about it. You, you really start to play these chess boards at the beginning of harvest, from harvesting grapes to crushing the grapes, managing the fermentations, managing people. Um, so it's a lot of ball juggling. And now that I'm doing it with some different brands and some different locations, it's been a little more challenging for me the last couple of years. Um, but if you put good people in place and then empower them, and train them to just make decisions that you that they're trying to to do what they think is best for the wine. How can you get mad if they if they do something that maybe you wouldn't have done? Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of just checking up on people, a lot of tasting. I go through and just taste <laughs> ferments all day long. And so when I get home, I don't necessarily want to sit and drink a glass of wine. <laughs> Do you prefer to drink beer or maybe your or spirits or spirits? Or spirits, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. You know, if it's if it's to just take the day down a level, mm-hmm. then I go for spirits. I'm I'm kind of a vodka soda vodka tonic. Oh, just yeah. something refreshing and, you know, not not too cloying on the palate mm-hmm. and then just relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> relaxing to an episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Thrones is intense. You know, that's that's the yeah. one thing. I think it was season eight. Isn't there eight or nine of them? I've, heard, I've I lost so. track so yeah. because I yeah. have to record them. I, I can't watch them as they come out because yeah. I just don't have time. But I think on season eight, my daughter and I sat down to watch the first episode. And it's this scene, and there's wine being poured, and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this is great, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the person pulls off this mask and had poisoned the whole room with the wine. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great for wine sales, yeah. right? So that was, I, I had to like walk away from that season for a little bit. <laughs> but then I finally got back to it. So, oh, that's good. Yeah. So during this time, you know, um, you learn to, to um, kind of, uh, segregate your time so that when you're you're done working, a lot of times when I get home, I just turn off my phone or I put it in my my closet on on my dresser. And you know, you need to make time for your family and you need to make time for yourself. Uh, like I was saying, tomorrow night we'll go see um, Experience Hendrix, and I love live music. So 
for me, that'll be my escape for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm taking my daughter and a couple of friends, and we'll just sit and listen to some music. Yeah. And for me, that's while I'm doing a lot of driving in between facilities or vineyards, I listen to a lot of music. I have Spotify and Sirius XM and. So just depending on the mood. Yeah. Today was uh, Sirius XM. I was listening to the Tom Petty channel oh, pretty fun. much all day. That's awesome. And it's really great to hear his influences because I, I was a huge Tom Petty fan. I, I had seen him in the Heartbreakers 30 times. Wow. And in 2006, my cellar master at William Selim and I at the time got backstage and had dinner with the Heartbreakers. Oh, my goodness. Awesome. At the Berkeley Greek Theater mm-hmm. while they were filming the Peter Bogdanovich film, um, Running Down a Dream. So we brought some wine and it was really great to meet the Heartbreakers' wife. We met Ben Montinch's wife and um, Steve Ferroni, the drummer. And it was just kind of fun to see them before they had to go out and kind of be on. We never did get to meet Tom Petty. Oh, he was kind of, he was, he was preoccupied and Doing some other things. Getting but, in the zone, probably. Yeah, but it was it was really a lot of fun. And I'm sitting next to this gal, and her name is Lori. And we're ha- drinking wine, and she's into it, and she'd get up, and then she'd come back, and then she'd get up and come back. And uh, she comes back and sits down and says, hey, can we take a bottle back to my sister? And I said, sure. Who's your? Because we had these all-access passes. The promoter, Greg Perloff, for another Planet Entertainment, he's the owner of Another Planet, is a good friend and buys a lot. He loves Cabernet. So it's like, case of Cabernet here, case of Cabernet there. Hope you're listening, Grace. Yeah. We've got some more shows I want to go see. Um, so we had these, the only place we couldn't go were into the artist dressing rooms for obvious reasons. You had to be escorted in if, if, if you were going to go in there. And so she says, can we take a bottle back to my sister? And I said, sure. Who's your sister? And she said, Stevie Nicks. Oh, wow. And I was like, really? Oh. Okay. And my, my cellar master is sitting across the table from me, and he hears this, and he's just like looking at me like, bring me, bring me. Yeah. And Lori and I got up, and I took grabbed a bottle of Hirsch Pinot, and mm-hmm. we, we popped it. She had maybe half a glass, and we talked for a while. And oh, my God. She was putting on makeup, and yeah. That's amazing. It was it was really a lot of fun, yeah. You've had a lot of really cool just experience like experience that nobody would believe yeah. that I've gotten to do some of these things. Yeah. Who's been your I guess I I mean it would probably be hard to choose, but is there just one experience that just really stands out in your mind it's like, whoa, what just happened? No, because they've all kind of been like that. Yeah. Like what just happened. Yeah. You know? Um and through Emerald Lagasse, who's he and Alden have been good friends for about 20 years now, we met Sam and Kari Hagar, who live in Mill Valley. Mm-hmm. And so when we kind of made that connection, um, they would come up and we'd cook abalone at my house. Mm. And um, Samantha, their youngest daughter, is about six months older than my daughter Paige. And so there was some kind of commonality and, you know, we're trying to parent these kids as they're... They're growing up, and um, you know Sam is just so well known that it's it's hard for him to just go out. You can't just go out and have lunch in Healdsburg. And a couple of times when we've been in Healdsburg, I, I can remember one time Sam and and Emerald and I were walking off the square somewhere, and all of a sudden, and I'm walking between them, and we're talking. I think we were going from Bistro Ralph's over to Barn Diva or someplace. Oh, yeah. We were we were kind of bar hopping, if you will. We were going from wine to cocktail. He wanted to try some, Sam wanted to try some cocktails. Mm-hmm. So we were headed over to Barn Diva, and all of a sudden, my phone's blowing up, and people are like, is that really, are you between <laughs> those? And it's like, you're trying to text in between these guys? Yes, it is, these, it is both of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you it, not that any one experience, um, you know, they've all kind of had their own special meaning in, in special times, mm-hmm. you know, when you, because you don't know when you're going to see these people again. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and so I kind of cherish the moment, having seen them perform sometimes 40 years earlier. We were in Hawaii doing a an auction lot and it was a dinner or lunch or something at Sam's Sam and Curry's house on Maui and Emerald and his wife and 
and kid, all our kids were with us and we were staying at the Four Seasons over in Wailea and we'd gone to, Sam was making rum up in uh, Hale Male mm-hmm. and um, so we went to visit the distillery and then afterwards to his house up in Haiku and you know we cooked and my daughter's in there cooking with Emerald and he's having her chop things and you know we're just all laughing and you know eating and drinking and just kind of enjoying the moment um jumping in the pool when you're getting too hot and then sam will grab a guitar and just start playing songs and those are really special moments because you don't know if or when he's going to do it Mm -hmm. and he's got an amazing voice Mm -hmm. and it's just it's so awesome to be sitting there and have him play one of your favorite songs acoustically <laughs> right right there in front of you to the to the crowd you know yeah. there and there's maybe 10 or 12 of us isn't that <laughs> the best when yeah it's wearing the old funky t-shirts concert shirts and flip-flops <laughs> and bathing suit half wet bathing suits and <laughs> you know our hair's all messed up from jumping in the pool and and it's just, um, it's a special time when in living in that moment, I think, is something that we all need to do more often. Mm-hmm. And then we were leaving, going back to the hotel, and my phone rings, and it's Sam, and he says, hey, be downstairs at 5.30. Uh, we're going to my friend Shep's house, Shep Gordon, who had managed um, Alice Cooper and mm-hmm. kind of put the celebrity chefs on the map. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, and it was just um, Emerald and Alden and their boy EJ, Heather and myself and Paige. And then it was um, Sam and Kari and one other couple, uh, Chris Wilson, the, the executive chef for uh, Emerald, who was doing a lot of the cooking for the weekend, and his wife. So it was a very small group. We show up at Chef's house. Chef's giving us cocktails and stuff, and leads me back to the bar, and there's Mick Fleetwood and his girlfriend. So I get introduced to Mick Fleetwood, and I'm like, this is super cool. And there's a photographer there, and then all of a sudden, um, we're talking wine, and Mick has a wine brand, I guess, and I didn't realize this, and a little restaurant in um, Lahaina on Maui. And uh, somebody had, I think Shep had a bottle of 1947 Barolo, Mm. which was Sam's birth year. And so, uh, long story short, somebody had sent me some pictures later on, and there's Sam McFleetwood and myself all swirling this wine, and we're talking about this 47 Barolo. Just, you know, the tannins in it, and is it over-oxidized, or is it past its prime? And, it, and again, you know, you don't know that somebody's actually clicking pictures of you because you're just kind of in the moment having yeah. that conversation, yeah. you know, just with Flip, Mick Fleetwood and Sam Hagar. Just a regular day, you know. You know, another day on Maui. <laughs> exactly. And then we all went to dinner at, at a restaurant that Shep owns. And so we're sitting there, and I guess that was a moment. I, I turned to my wife about halfway through the dinner and said, how did we end up here? <laughs> like, I'm looking at, you know, I mean, obviously Sam and Emerald and it, it, all these Shep, mm-hmm. all these celebrities, like, how did we end up here? And she goes, wine, honey. Just keep, wine. keep the wine yes, flowing. Wine. <laughs> keep the wine flowing. Do you, um, have you noticed, like, a, a correlation or something with with musicians and with wine, like why is there such a connection between the two and why do they gravitate, I guess, kind of towards each other? Well, a joke between Jonathan Kane and I was that I, I'm the new drug dealer. Nice. Okay, there we go. So he, he said to me jokingly one day, he goes, yeah, you know, those back in the 70s and 80s, he goes, yeah, those days of the Peruvian marching powder are over. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, wine is something that I think one is socially acceptable. Two, the you know, I mean, these guys are in their late sixties, early seventies. I'm mm-hmm. not sure that hard drugs would did them well in their twenties and thirties. Uh-huh. Probably would do them even worse at this age. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think it's part of their scene. You know, I, they, you know, they went through the that rock star phase. At least most of them did. I think there are still guys out there that have issues with it and you know I just I see addictions as a real disease I mm-hmm. don't I, I don't judge people about it I, I feel really bad and that some people just need help with those things so wine is one of those things where 
you know, you can enjoy it. It's usually with uh, a meal. Mm -hmm. You know, rarely do people just sit around and drink um, wine, although I've done it several times (laughs) backstage, you know, with, uh, you know, all kinds of people. It's from Robin Zander of Cheap Trick. I was at Concord Pavilion one time, and we had this big five-liter bottle, and he just Ooh. thought that was the coolest thing, uh-huh. and so we're, we're drinking. The, he had opened up for Hart, who opened up for Journey, and wow. Um, one night we were backstage with Sticks and Def Leppard and drinking wine, and um, I've got a great picture at the um, Shoreline Amphitheater of my daughter Viv Campbell, one of the guitarists for Def Leppard. Came, he's a, into wine, and he came into. Um, the, a, a staging area where the heart band was they were mm-hmm. opening up for Def Leppard and um, I got a picture of Paige and Viv and you know we were talking wine and everything and then we went out to watch Hart play their set and then when Def Leppard went out Sherry the manager of Hart said could I take Paige a little bit closer we're on the side of the stage and, and she took her right up to Viv's guitar tech Wow! and so uh, and my wife's just really nervous because Paige is like eight or nine years old no. kind of thing. She's like, don't let my baby, you know, <laughs> the rock stars are going to kidnap my baby. Kind of thing. <laughs> so Viv goes into this total guitar just jam and they've got the spotlight on him and he walks over to Paige at the end of it and hands her the, the guitar pick. Aww. She still has that guitar That's pick. That's adorable. Yeah. So I've got a picture of her standing in front of some Def Leppard amps. And How yeah. cool. Yeah. No, no. So it's moments like that that, you know, you just got to, you got to, you, you laugh because there's 20,000 people sitting out there that would kill to be in that position. Absolutely. And here's Viv Campbell <laughs> handing my daughter a guitar pick mm-hmm. that he just shredded before that so wow that's phenomenal now before we forget uh, the the first one you opened up with Chardonnay was just amazing uh, it was the second one a Pinot I think you said it is so a little bit about the uh, labels too and you can can take a look at this Um, the Chardonnay so each label is um, to mimic like the old letter press from um the, the old Fillmore posters. I've, I've got oh, several yes. of the yeah. old Fillmore posters. And then in bubble letters backwards, each label has a song lyric. So it looks like it's printed on the opposite side. So if you look at that label and you look really hard, you can see a song lyric. On the Troubadour, it says, so, so you think you can tell, which is <laughs> the beginning of a Pink Floyd mm-hmm. song, dot, 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 dot. Um, this label was just done very purposely and, and a brilliant um, graphics designer named um, Byron Hoffman, who mainly does websites. He, he doesn't do many labels, but I talked him into doing this label. Spent probably 30 or 40 hours at my house with my wife and daughter and I. And we just listened to music and we went through... Um, web pages of labels and just talked about music and he looked at a lot of the old posters I had and so this is kind of what we came up with and then in very fine print on the bottom I mean you have to have like a a microscope to look at it there's a statement that kind of talks about our mission statement it says this is truly a family collaboration of our sincere love of the wine business and all it has given to our family. These wines are purposely crafted to synchronize all of your emotions and senses. Our wish is that you will enjoy them with your favorite music or song to complete the Pinta. Meaning that wine can, can really attack your sense of taste, smell, uh, sight, um, touch, but you can't hear wine. And so I, that's where I wanted to incorporate music. Once inspired, please do something special to change someone's life or make a difference in your community. So we really hope that people, when they, when you, if you do sit around and you have a bottle of Bob Cabral wine or you're sharing it, you're listening to music, it's, you're, it's the tasting of it, it's the, the sensation in your, in your nose, uh, the emotions with your friends 
And I think those are what inspire those moments in life. And, and I think that wine can be that, that one piece that, that, of the puzzle that kind of finishes the puzzle. That little binding factor. That binding factor, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So for each label each year, there's four different lyrics so you don't know necessarily which one you're gonna get How which cool. is and and I don't really advertise this either so I've only had a few people actually um, ask me about it but if you go to the website under that label it'll have those for four songs on a Spotify list so you'll always be able to figure out what song it is it's a good it's a good playlist too at least one it that is I saw. you yeah. know it's it's a it's a lot of rock and roll you know which is what i i listen to absolutely um i got into jazz big in in um college i, I lived with a guy that uh, played trumpet and when you see people like miles davis and and some of those greats uh it really changes your your thought about um all kinds of music mm-hmm. so i i think wine can inspire people in many different ways, yeah. The Pinot comes from uh, the Russian River Valley, uh, very cold areas. It's from four different vineyards, and it's a blend of several clones. And um, you know, it's gonna it's gonna give you a lot of different flavors. Yeah, I call it uh, Cuvée Troubadour because a <laughs> troubadour is a person who kind of wanders the countryside. Um, singing and telling stories and I'm hoping that this wine kind of tells the story of the Russian River Valley which is kind of near and dear to my heart. I've probably made more Pinot Noir from Russian River Valley than any any place in my career. Is there a particular grape varietal um, that you love to work with? I mean I know you've done a lot of Pinots. Is that mm-hmm. your favorite one to work with? Yeah you know Pinot's a tough one and I think that's why I like the challenge mm-hmm. and uh yeah, I would say that Pinot is probably one of my favorites to make um, just because of the the complexity. Uh, it's a difficult grape to grow. It's a difficult grape to kind of ferment. And, mm. um, but when you do it and you, I think, do it right and you've had a good growing season like in 2016, you can... You can come up with something that has just so many different flavors and mm-hmm. textures and smells and um, I really like this wine and, and I think the Pinot Noir just goes well with a lot of different foods. It does, yeah. You know, you know it's kind of my go-to if you've got guests coming over and maybe you're introducing some of your friends to your other friends and, and um, trying to expand you know everybody's uh, community a little bit. I think Pinot Noir is a good place to start mm-hmm. uh, with a red wine. Most most people can can uh, enjoy a glass of Pinot. Yeah, it just eases you in to maybe if you want to go into some darker, bigger reds. But I always yeah. love good, a good Pinot. And I'll eat it with fish. I don't care. <laughs> fish, hamburgers, <laughs> spaghettios. Exactly. Oh, spaghettios. You know? There you go. Yeah. I think this may be one of the best noses we've ever had on a Pinot in here. It's That's amazing. Right. It I really do like the, yeah, the perfume yeah, on it. it's really nice. Um, and I think it, it'll age well, too. And that, that's the great thing about wine is what we're tasting today, you'll never taste again. Mm-hmm. And so it'll expand. It'll, it's a living thing. And it's, it's great because then in another month, another six months, another year, it's going to have a different set of flavors. And um, it's kind of like doing a different rendition or a cover of somebody else's song, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm really into covers right now. I, oh, yeah. I love listening to other people doing original songs. I think Johnny Cash's um, rendition or cover of uh, I Won't Back Down oh, yeah. is better than Tom Petty's original <laughs> recording. And no offense to Tom, but it's just, and Tom plays and sings backup. Yeah, and, and they they were doing these. I believe they did some sessions at Sun Records in Memphis. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been to I've to Memphis not. or to Sun Records. I've heard of it. It's but a never great studio. I mean, you know, Booker T and the mm-hmm. MGs, and mm-hmm. I mean, some of that that real hardcore blues that came out of uh, the Delta blues that came out mm-hmm. of Memphis that inspired so many of these rock and roll artists. And to have them go back to these old recording studios is just so cool. 
And I, I really enjoy. Today, Aretha Franklin was doing Jumping Jack Flash on wow. Tom Petty Radio. Oh, my gosh. And Keith Richards was playing guitar on it. It said Aretha Franklin with Keith Richards. How cool. And it was awesome. <clears throat> it, was, it was just, and it's such a great song, but to hear her just, her voice is so spectacular and mm-hmm. so emotionally driven. Uh, it was great to hear that come out of the radio today. Wow. I love a good um, cover. How about you, Mike? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of funny. It's one good thing that comes from YouTube is now, I mean, if there's a, a song that's big, you can look up a hundred different covers and a hundred different styles. And sometimes they're really interesting and cool different takes on mm-hmm. these these songs that are kind of fun. They are. It, it's just, when it, one, Run DMC kind of, I, I say, kind of revived Aerosmith's career with oh Walk gosh, This Way. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, those sure. guys were kind of lost, I think, for a bit. And then that, that just resurrected. People <laughs> went crazy. Well, you know, who did this first kind of thing? And, and it was Aerosmith <laughs> uh-huh. in the 70s. Yeah. You know? That was yeah. a great album, Toys in the Attic. Yeah, absolutely. that was a great one. From a winemaking perspective, you, you sort of alluded to this a little bit. I mean, are there parallels in like writing a song and uh, and making a wine? Uh, it, are the processes are, are are there ways that the processes are similar? I would think so. I've never written a song, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, having been around artists that that do create music, I think that um, we all find inspiration in in different ways. Mm-hmm. And music, a lot of times, is the inspiration. While I'm making wine, we have a lot of music going on uh, in the cellars. I have some earbuds, and we'll actually listen to music out in vineyards. Um, some people would say that's distracting. I disagree. I think it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing like watching the sun come up and listening to, you know, even a Wyndham Hill artist like um, the piano player uh, Autumn, the the album Autumn, and mm. it's just it's awesome to to hear that music come through as you're experiencing this vineyard in and these trees and this flora out on the Sonoma Coast. So I, th- I would think that inspiration definitely comes from a lot of different places. And it could be a vineyard, it could be a barrel, it could be all mm-hmm. kinds of things. I, I know a lot of bands go to a certain house or a certain, they'll lock themselves up somewhere and write music, mm-hmm. come up with some great albums. Yeah, some of the best albums are done that way, just kind of I know you, you too would, you know, rent a place on the on the coast, on the South Irish coast, and mm-hmm. I know that's where the War album came out of. Mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin did um, Zeppelin Four and some of Physical Graffiti at Headley Grange in mm-hmm. in England, mm-hmm. and it was a countryside home with, with you know not a lot of modern amenities, and they had mobile recording trucks, and you know they did things like hang hang uh, mics from staircases and things like that and you know levy breaks suppose the story on that was john bonham had just gotten a new drum kit and it was set up in the hallway and he started pounding on it and then they hung and the, the expanse of it echoing inside the house they decided to hang mics and wow and record it How and cool. if you really listen to that it's it's awesome and I, I like to do that even in my car. That's great with the technology that we have. I can sit and isolate even, you know, just bass or more treble or more mid. And you can listen to different instruments from a band and listen to a, a song over and over. And for me, that's quite interesting, dissecting songs instrumentally mm-hmm. um, while you're you're just driving along onto the next vineyard. Yeah. And sometimes you go, oh, you know, this wine needs more bass, <laughs> you know, or or it needs some high tone treble to it, or or it just needs some rock and guitar. Absolutely. And do you guys ever play um, any music for the grapes? <laughs> well, um, I I put on specific playlists when I'm crushing certain vineyards. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Now they'll. And it's kind of funny, at Three Sticks, we have a pretty good sound system there. So it's um, when we're crushing my grapes, if I'm not the first one in there, they kind of know my genre. (laughs) All of a sudden, you know, it's uh, Led Zeppelin and Mm -hmm. the Rolling Stones. and The good stuff. The good stuff, little Mm -hmm. Van Halen in there. (laughs) and You know, even some old stuff from the Birds to Montrose to Mm -hmm. David Bowie. 
um, Queen, you know, I saw all these bands. Mm -hmm. And so to, I, they just have, I have such great memories of watching live music and watching them perform. And uh, I always felt that they were so uh, into what they were doing and it was such a great experience that I think that's why I liked live music so much. And Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were one of the best mm -hmm. live bands. They were better live, I think, than their albums. Mm -hmm. I like listening to their recorded live music almost okay. better than their studio. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling that Bob's pairing is going to be a good one. Okay. Oh. So <laughs> this is going to be a good one. I have a feeling. I have a, my we gut have a feeling. We have a pairing now. We do. So okay. we like to ask our guests uh, what on a good day you go home. What uh -huh. is your favorite pairing of music, wine, music, wine, and food? Or it can be doesn't have mm -hmm. to be wine, but music, a beverage, yeah. and food. Uh. Just to relax and go out and just yeah, so good. for for if I'm having wine, I'll be honest with you, I like simple like a charcuterie plate. I like different cheeses and mm -hmm. different meats, olives, um, things that have been other other vegetables that have been pickled or fermented. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a Pinot Noir I usually go to, and then the music can vary from you know. Again, Tom Petty to Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd for me is very relaxing. Uh, their their music can oh, be yeah. um, just take it down and make you think a little. Not think so scattered, but focus on just the music or being calm. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, charcuterie, Pinot, and maybe some Pink Floyd. Nice, is a, I dig is it. a good way. Yeah. If you've got lots of chores to do, you um, you know, SpaghettiOs with meatballs. <laughs> I like that one. You yeah. know, maybe a little Zinfandel and then some Led Zeppelin. Oh, Just, you see? know, if you've got a vacuum and uh -huh. fold laundry and do things like that, you know, the domestic part of all of us. <laughs> Awesome. Now, for those looking for Bob Cabral, Bob Cabral wines, if people you know, hear about it, want to check them out, uh, do you ship? Is there mail order? What, what's the best yeah, place to, uh, to direct people? To our website at www.bobcabralwines.com, and there is a, a um, website there. On the website is a shopping cart. And we can, through Vino Shipper, I believe we ship to all but like four or five of the, you know, states that it's still illegal. So <laughs> we, we have licenses to go almost anywhere here in the U.S. Um, yeah. And I, I hope you'll check it out, even if it's just a bottle or two. And, and just realize that you are giving back, too, though. I think part of the experience of buying a Bob Cabral wine is the understanding that it's, it's about giving back. Mm -hmm. And I hope that uh, people want to give back. Yeah, absolutely. It always feels good to give back. It does. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so, so much. Thank it you. It was truly a pleasure. I think I talked a little too long, though. Huh? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. We loved your stories. It was fantastic. Well, thanks. Yeah. You may have to edit this down. <laughs> <laughs> Never. No, no editing. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. So don't forget to like and subscribe. Uh, Rock and Vino, R-O-C-K-N-V-I-N-O. And we'll see you guys uh, next week.